You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case i got bored well hello and welcome to literary treks our dedicated books and comic show for star trek here on the tfm network and i'm just one of the hosts matthew rushing i'm so excited to have with me as he is every single time the one and only casey pettit and how are you doing casey i am doing great we are finally in summer we're about to have a nice three-day weekend in the U.S. for Memorial Day. It's it's very nice to be out of winter. Yes, I could not agree more. I'm very excited about this long weekend coming up. In fact, I took off uh, Friday so I can have an extra long weekend. So I'm very excited about that. But I'm also excited to dive into Everything that we've got here for you on this episode of Literary Treks, there's so much to talk about. But before we get into that, I definitely wanted to remind you, uh, subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts, and that way you'll get Literary Treks as soon as the episodes drop. You can also, of course, make sure that uh, you give us a star rating and a review on a place like Apple Podcasts or Spotify takes uh, star ratings, so those things really help the show grow. We would also appreciate it if you'd uh, go over and follow us on social media like Twitter or Instagram. You can find at Trek FM. We can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. Got the listeners only discussion group on Facebook called the Babel Conference. And you can join listeners from all over the world talking about the different shows here. And we'd love to have you interact in there. And of course, we've got the website Trek.fm. You can check out see all the shows that we're doing. And last but not least, we would appreciate it. If, like Casey Pettit or Greg Rosier, you would become a patron of us on Patreon. So you can go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and become part of our team. Really a huge thank you to Casey as well as Greg for being associate producers of Literary Treks. Uh, They like the show here, and uh, that's one of the perks that they've done uh, is to become an associate producer here of this show. Patreon is the best way to make sure that all of the podcasts that we do here on Trek FM can keep coming to you each and every week. Casey knows it's a lot of work, and now when you're behind the scenes to put these podcasts on, it also costs a lot of money. And so go to patreon.com slash trekfm and become part of the team. So, Casey, our new segment is actually huge this week because we have so much to talk about, but one is just a big congratulations to Star Trek comics. Yeah, this is pretty cool. They've gotten uh, nominated for the 2023 Eisner Awards. They've been nominated for two 
the best single issue or one shot for Star Trek number 400, and then also the best new series for the Star Trek ongoing series, which we are going through right now. And, um, you know, I think as you've heard on the show before, we've been enjoying, we've, we've enjoyed those issues and we've enjoyed the Star Trek series that's been going on. So it's, uh, that's a pretty big deal. And so, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing the results of this and yeah, big congrats to Star Trek comics. Absolutely. I mean, this really is a huge deal and a huge congratulations to them. And I think well-deserved, uh, you know, I, I honestly think that the Star Trek series, uh, has been phenomenal so far. And the cool thing is we're actually going to talk about two of them tonight because we have so many comics to review so, Casey, why don't we celebrate these comics by diving into some comic reviews, which we have Dog of War number two here. And oh, my goodness, Casey, uh, when this was first announced, I thought, well, this just sounds ridiculous. And this may have <laughs> turned into one of my favorite comic series that we're going through right now, which says a lot because we've been enjoying them so much. But this issue builds off the first issue so well and just I, I really do feel as though I am reading and, you know, a comic, which is wonderfully visual, an episode that was lost from, like, say, the fifth season. Yeah. You know, like you said, I, I was skeptical of this one, too. You know, the dog of war. We've got a, a dog on the covers of these, but that is just a fun little aspect of this. And like you said, it's it's like watching an episode and we don't get new episodes of Deep Space Nine anymore. So having these stories that take place during the series is really cool. And yeah, the visuals of this, this are great. The story is compelling. And, you know, even the dog that's in it, you know, we're starting to kind of get a little bit attached to as as are some of the characters. So, you know, this is... um you know, I, I feel like it was a little bit of a risk for, you know, IDW to be putting something like this out, but it is very successful, in my opinion. I, I think that one of the things that, to me, has made it the most successful at this point has been the fact that not only does it feel like a, a lost, you know, episode, uh, but the voices of the characters is perfect but also the, the story of allowing Cisco to have his moment to face the Borg here, as we've given Picard many times now. Uh, and I, I feel like this had been a missed opportunity. And the way that they're doing this with this Borg technology and the power that it could offer the Federation and its allies against the Dominion, and yet the slippery slope that it is, is phenomenal, I think. Uh, and I'm so excited to kind of see where this story goes because with that side of it, you know, we're dealing with kind of the darker underpinnings of, of Deep Space Nine in the sense of, you know, what are we willing to do to survive, you know, and what, you know, morals or uh, any of those type of things might we put on the shelf during wartime. Uh, and... So I, I really appreciate uh, the way in which that this has not only been so congruous with the series, but it's just been a great story that I just didn't expect when they first announced this series. And I think they played up the whole dog aspect so much 
But really, like you said, that that's really only a, a minor part of the story, really. And it's used more as a, f- a framing device to help us tell this other very interesting and I would say uh, very important story for specifically Cisco here. So I'm loving this. This this I, I could not give this higher marks to issues in. Couldn't agree with you more. Which I'm I, leads me to this uh, this second comic that we're going to talk about tonight, which is the motion picture Echoes Number One. Uh, this is set right after Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and it's it's kind of billed almost like as the next adventure uh, that happens to the Enterprise. And what did you think of this one? I had no expectations going into this, except just knowing we're getting a, a motion picture era story. And so I was I was pleasantly surprised, actually, by it. Like, the artwork in this one is amazing. We get to see the Enterprise refit in all her glory. Um, and then, you know, it's really just a good setup story for, for whatever's coming next in this little uh, miniseries that we've got. Um I'm not sure that we really want to totally spoil who shows up, but you know, it's um, it, it's just a fun story. It involves all of the characters that you know that uh, we know from the motion picture, and um, I think it's on its way to setting up a pretty good story going forward. What do you think of this one? I think I think you're right on target with everything that you said there. Uh, I would say. For me, with the artwork specifically, there are some shots here that are just incredibly beautiful. And then I would say that there are some others that I think the likenesses, they're definitely taking some artistic license with that. Uh, And so, but I mean, uh, the Enterprise herself looks beautiful, although I will say there is an issue uh, that I do have with the issue, which is there's the top of the saucer in one of the shots and it doesn't have the registry number or name on it which i thought was kind of strange uh because it's pretty prominent there and it's just blank which it looks weird uh, but otherwise oh, it's funny i didn't even notice yeah, that the first time <laughs> i'm always looking especially when it's the refin enterprise or the enterprise a because those are my favorite versions of the enterprise i'm very very uh cognizant of what's going on with the look and the feel of that so that's just me uh, being super picky. But I, I think like you, this this is a very interesting setup. And I, I think the thing that fascinated me the most here was the way in which, you know, we're really dealing with Kirk wanting to stay on the Enterprise and being told by an admiral, okay, look, yes, you're right. You should deal with this, but this is the last time. When you're done with this, you're coming back to your job. And so I'm I'm so interested to see where we go from there because we do know that Kirk doesn't stay on the Enterprise forever because he does end up back in command. Now, I thought, I feel like in my brain, Kirk was given another five-year mission at this point. Uh, but I think that might just be you know, Star Trek fan canon lore and not necessarily in stone that that happened. And um, because I also felt like that was something that happened after Star Trek four into Star Trek five, which Mm -hmm. was another. But again, I could just be fan lore. So 
I think this is a great start, and I'm I don't want to spoil who shows up in this one because I do think it it will uh, be better uh, if people just read it. And but I think this is a good start. I would say my expectations after this issue are slightly more tempered, just because mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure. You know, I, I think it's a a decent setup. But I don't know exactly whether or not it'll become something that uh, you know truly becomes a story that I'm really, really excited about. In the same way that some of the others have immediately captured my attention. So, um, but no, I think this is a is a good start, and I I love this time period. So I'm just excited to be getting a story in this time period. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely. I feel like we've gone through some eras in the novels where we've gotten a lot of stories in the motion picture era just because it was so much overlooked. But, you know, so even though we've gotten a lot of stories there, I feel like it's kind of just fun getting a, especially a comic one, getting the visuals of that time period because you don't get that when you're reading a novel. 100%. No, I'm right there with you. And uh, because, I mean, who doesn't love seeing them in their pajamas? So. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I love wearing pajamas to work. So the the next few issues we're going to review in order. So we're kind of talking about the story in order as it goes. Uh, but uh, Star Trek Seven is, issue seven is next, and goodness, this was a great issue because I think it kind of gave both of us some of the things that we had mentioned earlier, especially for the Cisco story of getting to meet his daughter, spending time with Cassidy. Talking about, you know, um, just his life after uh, the Celestial Temple and what he wants it to be, and especially what he wants it to be after all of this kerfuffle that's going on gets it gets solved. Uh, and then I, I think it really just took me on a wild ride um, with, you know, who we bring with us to Cardassia on the ship from a show I didn't expect to see in this uh, uh, series. And then the fact that we end with, you know, Cisco being arrested to be put on trial for his quote unquote war crimes. Yeah. That was the one thing, you know, yeah, I love, I love how this story goes as, you know, who shows up and that was totally unexpected and I couldn't have been happier by the choice there. I feel like the character that they brought on was the perfect choice for this mission uh, and just another way to kind of bring all of the shows, all the series together. Um, Ending with the, tr- well, kind of leading into the trial of Benjamin Sisko, I'm, I feel like we've had so many comics over the years that have, I mean, I don't know how many trials of Captain James T. Kirk we had in the comic books. You know, I feel like DC probably did one, Marvel did one, you know, they're, they're all over the place. And, um, and, and especially for this one, it was, you know, and we'll get into it when we get into the, to the issue eight, but, you know, it was, it was just a little, concerned i guess where they were going like are we gonna just do a trial just because oh no they're putting cisco on trial or is there gonna be uh something that really comes out of this because i don't want to say it's a cop-out to do the trials but i'm just um a little hesitant going into it because what are we gonna what what could we really gain from a story out of that but um as far as leading into a trial i feel like this issue 
I feel like this issue was um, right up there with the rest of them. And, you know, at the end of this one, I'm still, you know, even though I'm not real sure about a trial, I'm ready to get into it. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that's really interesting here is that we learn that there are a bunch of different orbs uh, that we haven't necessarily heard of before. And, and one of them is the Orb of Destruction, which is what Cisco is going to be looking for. That's one of the reasons they're going to Cardassia, uh, because they believe that uh, the Cardassians still have some of these orbs. And uh, it, it was a it was a really interesting thing because, you know, we're really dealing with the idea of, you know, the prophets and, you know, Kira even this kind of worries her and in, in kind of in, in almost some ways it feels like it shakes her faith a little bit with the prophets of seeing them having created an orb of destruction, you know, a, a, a weapon of mass destruction. And so I, I really love the way in which this series has taken full force this idea of, of you know, these godlike beings in, in Star Trek and all of that. And, um, you know, even the, the, the fact that Cisco's talking to, to Cassidy and saying, you know, the, the prophets aren't infallible. You know, they're, they're not that kind of god. Uh, you know, and so uh, to me, that's just a really uh, all of these things are, are making for really fascinating conversations. And so I like you, though, I hope that this trial thing does not last too long. Um, and uh, we might talk about that in a minute, but we need to talk about the day of blood prelude that came in the free comic book day issue. Uh, and. This is really featuring our Day of Blood um, prelude in the sense of like kind of setting us on the course for what's going on with the Klingons and what is leading this change in them uh, and and really setting us on the path to see uh, this this new way of thinking for them and Kales. Um, and the idea of this, um, the red path, which is, is, I, I guess, almost a new form of the Klingon religion surrounding Kalos. Uh, and this is, uh, this is definitely way, the way to get you interested because it, it ramps up very quickly here and it involves you know some characters we know like Kalos and Alexander uh, because we know Alexander has turned his back on uh, his father and the ways of Klingons here so just utterly fascinating to me uh, how they're building this with the Klingons and this is uh, you know like you said a prelude to Day of Blood which is a a uh, five-part crossover that's coming um, in a couple months here, starting in July 2023. And yeah, I I agree. This was um, a fast-paced um, story, kind of introducing this idea or kind of expanding on this idea of the Red Path and the Klingons that are ironically sort of worshipping Kalos as a god, even though Kalos was the god killer. And... 
you know, to see Alexander here, who we saw, I think, I can't remember if it was in Star Trek or if it was in Defiant, but, you know, we saw his kind of altercation with Worf and how he went over with Kalis, but I'd kind of forgotten about that aspect before reading this, so it was a little bit of a shock to me still when I saw Alexander show up. But yeah, the, um, you know, IDW is kind of just hitting it out of the park with uh, these comics and with uh, the um, the artwork and everything that's going on in these. And I, I think that this was a really uh, neat issue, to, especially for Free Comic Book Day, uh, to give out, to put this prelude in there. But also even just there was an, you know, an excerpt from one of the Lower Decks comics. I think it was from the first Lower Decks comic issue. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of people have got the chance to pick that up and, and read it and start getting excited about the Star Trek comics if you're not already for some reason. No, I, that's so well said, and I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think this is a great way uh, to be able to get people interested in, in Star Trek comics, especially, you know, with this big crossover coming, which we've never had something like this in Star Trek comics where they've done a big crossover, which leads us to the fact that we've got Defiant number three, which is a part of this crossover with the Star Trek series that's going to be happening, as well as the Day of Blood issues that will be coming out. And so what did you think of of this issue? Because, you know, last time we left it, uh, Worf and Roe and Balana had been captured by Orion's and it was up to Spock and hopefully Lore to be able to save them. And I'm I'm really interested to see what you thought of this issue. This one was a pretty interesting one. It didn't really go in the way I thought it would, but you know, it has this like underlying narration throughout it of uh kind of almost a I don't know, an Orion parable or something, you know, of of this uh you know, leader that that people turned against, I guess, you know, and I think we're kind of seeing, we're, we're basically seeing it play out with our Defiant crew in this comic. And I thought that was a really interesting way to do it because we got a little bit of, you know, Orion Apocrypha here, plus, you know, the story that's happening right in front of us. And they, they melded pretty well together, um, you know, and kind of wondering, is Lore going to help them or is he going to be against them? What's happening? Um, you know, we we end on a pretty significant cliffhanger here with Lore in charge of the Defiant. Worf's been shot. Pretty sure they're not going to kill Worf, but, you know, these these comics, you just never know. And, you know, as Jonathan Frakes always says, is anybody ever really dead in Star Trek? So, not, not too worried about that, but, um, you know, this is just kind of a nice... It was a little bit of... Um, a little bit of story building on this, but also just kind of a nice, almost one shot adventure with this, you know, with Roe and uh, Balana and Worf kind of escaping or being saved by Spock. So it was, uh, I'm excited to get to the next one as usual at the end mm-hmm. of this one. I, I think with this issue, it almost felt a little too much like filler to me. I mean, there's some interesting things, like you said, Allure gets a body and he be, is put in charge of uh, the Defiant as Spock is trying to work things out in engineering. And so where that's going to go is going to be uh, fascinating to see. And we pick up an Orion here. So that 
uh, would be a cool story to follow up on as well. But uh, the rest of the issue, too, I just felt like it, it almost like we're just trying to fill up page space before we get to mm-hmm. the big crossover uh, instead of having really, truly anything very interesting happening. Um, you know, I think there's a, the, a few interesting moments, but on a whole, this one was probably the weakest so far of the Defiant series. And so I hope that, you know, as we move into the next issues, it, it, it picks up. And I, I think it will... I, I think, you know, four is is really going to be continuing our uh, Day of Blood uh, build up. And so, um, yeah, this one just left me a little bit uh, a dish best served cold, uh, like <laughs> like revenge. So um, and then lastly, uh, we do have a Star Trek eight and Cisco is on trial and the Theseus is searching for the orb in a area of space that is known as the Grave of the Prophets. How did you feel about this one, especially since we really do start to get the trial here of Benjamin Sisko? You know, I thought the trial was nicely broken up with kind of the B story. Or I'm not really sure which one was the B story, I guess, <laughs> since the main mission is really to get the orb. Um, you know, the trial itself was fine. Um, you know, of course, we get Garrick showing up to defend uh, Cisco, which naturally, I guess, it was, was a bit weird, but it still, you know, was fine. You know, and... Um, you know, but with the the Theseus crew, you know, it wasn't a huge part of that story, but um, it was still fun seeing them come together with Data in charge of the ship. He's captain of the ship. He's kind of still struggling, I guess, with command, just like we saw during the run of Next Generation. Um, but then we also get to have a little bit of a callback to Deep Space Nine with the solar sail ship that... Cisco and Jake built and they do something like that similar for the Theseus which was kind of a fun uh fun little callback kind of a strange one but this is the comics they're supposed to get kind of strange so um I'm glad the uh so we're almost to the end of the trial so we'll see how that goes um as we move forward and then you know once again just yet another cliffhanger these they they just cliffhang right into each other and um you know the theseus crew is you know come up against another little roadblock that they've got to uh get past once they uh find out where the orb is so this was it was kind of another one that was fillery to me um it just didn't didn't take us where i thought we'd go after the last one especially with the trial here in this one so again we'll see where we go after this as we lead into the day of blood but meh yeah it's it's interesting that you responded to this one like that i i thought that bringing in the gem hadar as the only witness and his testimony of the way in which you know Cisco and his crew had been a part of all Jem Hadar realizing that there's something out there that could be different for them 
was really pretty fascinating to me. And so I really liked that. And and then, uh, you know, the other side with the Theseus was fun, I thought. And it was most interesting, of course, when with the issue ending with them running into the red path already on the station looking for the same thing. Uh, and so can't wait to see. I, I, in some ways, I, I somewhat understand how you feel because it's it's like, oh, now I want to get to that. And so I, I am kind of on the edge of my seat to see what's going to happen, I guess, in both of these stories because this sets up what's coming, you know, so this really is almost like a middle issue. Um, and, and so it's really incumbent for that next issue to really fill this out, I think, well. So, uh, and I think that that will happen because this series so far has done that. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of these comics coming out, I'm just so excited for. And, and you know, we have a ton coming out soon. Uh, May wraps up with the annual. Uh, June, we're going to have Defiant and Star Trek coming out. July, we have Defiant, Star Trek. We've got Day of Blood coming out. August, we've got Defiant and uh, Star Trek. We're going to have a Strange New Worlds comic coming out. The Scorpius Run series starting. Uh, And then uh, September, we've got Defiant, Star Trek, and more Scorpius Run. So it's like we are, I mean, in all honesty, the the next Star Trek book and the only new one we have coming out is the latest Discovery book uh, that we're going to talk to Dayton Ward about. And that's the last new Star Trek book that's coming out, at least fiction-wise. We've got a ton of nonfiction coming out soon, uh, and we have no idea what's happening on that front uh, when it comes to fiction. Yeah. So comics are, are really going to be the things that are going to be the new stuff coming out. But um, I don't know. Uh, Casey, why don't we uh, go You know, uh, stand in the shadow of heaven and finish up our uh, Voyager series? What do you think? Let's do it. Well, Casey, Christine Golden's trilogy, Dark Matters, comes to an end in the book Shadow of Heaven. And uh, again, we kind of broke this up into discussions about characters and their parts of the story. And Paris and Chakotay's part of the story has a lot to do with the wrap-up of the story. And I'm really interested to hear what you think about, you know, uh, you know, because Paris ends up with the Kololon still and Chakotay is with the Alolan and then they end up kind of finding a way to meet in the middle in the end. Uh, And what did you how did you feel about the wrap up specifically with these two characters and, and this part of this story in this final book? I felt like there was almost no other way based on the way that they had set this up, especially by the end of the last book with um, Chakotay basically being rescued by the Alilon, um, that they were essentially going to have to work together by the end of it, which is exactly what happens. And, you know, we've still got our kind of segregated ideas, but now we've got some people who've seen both sides and... Um, you know, want to create a third way of living their lives and try to like homogenize some of their beliefs and, and everything. And it, I don't know, it, it was almost predictable just because of how everything had been set up before. And I don't know, it was, there was some action in these scenes and, you know, some fights and everything. And, um, you know, things got, got, 
pretty gruesome at times, actually, in some of the uh, fights that they've had. But um, I don't know. You know, I'm not really sure what we're supposed to get out of this story. Yeah. If, if you know, if Star Trek is supposed to have a, a message, you know, why can't we all just get along seems to be the message of this one, right. which seems pretty elementary for Star Trek. I could not agree with you more. I mean, I felt like this whole story felt very forced. You know, the idea that these groups hate each other for none other than the reason that they hate each other. It seems like, and you know, we we kind of learned that these two groups started as a response because of an alien attack, and so one group formed to make sure that it would never happen by remaining primitive and more spiritual, and the other group by embracing technology, and that's where the big split comes. And yet, I, I, I this whole story didn't make sense with the other story that's happening. Like there's no real tie-in for this civilization and the thematic elements in the same way. I didn't feel like, like it didn't really seem to flow. And and it almost felt like this was only created for page space. Like we mm-hmm. needed a bunch of pages to be filled up uh, with this story for Paris and Chakotay and 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 the biggest issue here is because it didn't have any relevance really with the dark matter. If dark matter had been on this planet and had actually been a part of these two groups hating one another and continuing that hatred and actually had been a part of the reason that that group specifically had split off on the Alolan and was trying to take out all the these Kololan and their leaders who had been, you know, they have these silent ones who are babies that have been saved uh, by the Alolan, and many of them are sent back to be what is known as, like, the Kuli. Um, And they are kind of leaders in these different settlements that alert the Alolan when the babies are being left for the the, uh, crafters. And, and yet, again, there just wasn't that connection that I wanted or needed a reason for the story to have existed in the first place as a part of this larger story, uh, because, yeah, it just feels like we spend a lot of time here and it does feel very basic and it, it, there's not as much depth as I, I would want here If we're going to have this story, I feel like there needs to be even more depth to it. And it was frustrating, too, because, like, Chakotay is rescued by the Alolan, and then he's talking about how much he loves the technology and being back with the technology. It's like, I don't think you understand Chakotay at all. Yeah. So, I mean, there was also that aspect to it that really, I I think, just kind of left me frustrated in the writing uh, because it didn't seem to actually fit with the character Chakotay as we know him. Well, and it, I almost feel like it was even more forced when it was like the author realized, oh no, I've got Chakotay in Paris on this planet. I should mention the dark matter as a reason for maybe why some of these Alulan are attacking the Kululan. 
And Chakotay mentions that to their leaders, and they're like, oh yeah, that's gotta be it. That's why our people are attacking theirs. And then it turns out it's really not. It's just that these people really, for some reason, do hate each other. And I'm like, I almost wish that um, that uh, the shepherds had had turned up and said, oh no, there's a lot of dark matter here, and that's what's been keeping you separate for all this time. And, you know, we're going to kind of take that out and you guys can kind of feel your way back together and create this third way of living together. But when it turned out that wasn't the case, it's like, oh no, we're just really in this shadow universe and it has nothing to do with the dark matter at all. And the and again, the only reason that Chakotay and Paris are there is to help create balance since um, Kala went over into our universe. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it it just didn't tie together, and it it felt like a like like we almost had two different ideas of stories to tell, and we just kind of put them together and hoped that they worked well. And it just didn't really. Well, and I don't mind the idea of of, of talking about. Um, these two groups finding a third way together. I think, you know, that was, of course, really interesting. But I, I think that you kind of hit on it, which was it's so obvious that it doesn't help the story, um, that, that, that they're going to have to find a way to go this direction. And I think that was the frustrating thing is that the answer is so obvious in the second book that it just doesn't fit well. And so, which leads me to want to ask you about Janeway, who was being litigated, talking about being on trial. And it seemed like that was going to be a bigger part of the story. And I'm I'm wondering how you feel about the resolution uh, of that here uh, for this book. Well, I bet you can guess how I feel about it. <laughs> um, it it was another place that it just it didn't make sense. I mean, the way she gets out of it was that um, I can't remember the name of the captain, but he basically, you know, the one that essentially turned himself and her into the government right. to, to be put on trial. He's like, oh, I've seen the error of my ways, and so I'm going to you know, fight everyone off while you escape Janeway, and she does, and that's the last we ever hear of it. And it's and maybe that's why I was feeling so uh, uncertain, because I read this before I read the comics, and so when I was like, ah, a trial of Benjamin Sisko, are we just going to go in and something's going to get him out of it, and then we're, you know, back to status quo again, you know, because this one especially, it just was totally unnecessary, felt like filler, we are just, we needed a word count, we had to fit this into three books instead of two or one, <laughs> and, um, you know, they just threw this in, it was supposed to be a cliffhanger at the end of the last book, and Let's just clean it up at the beginning of this one and move on. And it just, you know, by the time I got part of the way, like halfway through the book, I'd totally forgotten about this part already. 100%. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And it, it's so sad that 
this becomes so frustrating. Um, and it doesn't really seem to matter, right? It, it Again, I think you've 100% nailed it in the sense that it does just feel like a place where we're trying to fill a word count. On the other side, you know, one of the stories that we continually have been following here and found most interesting was the story of Jeckery, who is the, well, at this point in the story, the former head of the Tal Shiar. And I thought, again, that this is the best part of the, the series. Um, you know, her escape uh, with Varric, uh, who has been her lover and seemingly betrayed her last time. Their escape to the Delta Quadrant and, and you know, helping Voyager complete their mission and everything to me was, you know, the most interesting part of the book. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, she, her story was the one I felt like it wouldn't necessarily have any impact on our Voyager crew or whatever, but I just feel like the lead up to all this. I remember, I remember all the way back in the first book when, um, Jeckery and Farrick had to meet together like in her quarters and have sex just to keep um what is his name Liao to you know out of their brains while they concocted some plan of you know you know getting him out of the way and by the end of this one I felt like both of their journeys especially Varric who we, you know, were led to believe maybe he wasn't actually in love with her. Turns out he actually is, and he's like faithful to her till the end of her days, basically. Um, and, and just seeing like a really kind of full story arc for her and and some of the people around her all the way through the three books it was really cool to see. And um, you know, the torture and everything that she has to go through especially in this book was really, you know, if, if we were watching this on TV, it'd be kind of one of those, like, you know, the, the game uh, of Thrones episode moments. <laughs> What's that? It'd be like a game of Thrones episode. Yeah. I mean, just like bloody and gory and, and everything. And, um, you know, by the, uh, and just her resolve as she's sitting in the prison, almost literally rotting away and kind of, you know, as you're reading it, wondering where this is going and for her by the end to come out on top and, um, still Romulan to the core, but, um, all the better for everything, I guess that happened. It was, I thought, you know, overall her story was, they should have just called this the Jeckery trilogy and, <laughs> continued with that through the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I I could not agree with you more on that. And it's it's one of those things where, of course, when you're writing these type of books, it can be hard to find a way to really impact the main characters of the stories, you know, from our Star Trek crews. Uh, but yeah, this was fantastic. I, I felt like they did such a good job with her character and, and the way in which then she helps, you know, f- facilitate that by arriving in the delta quadrant and and then of course we get the return of uh talalan to help stop the iu and 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 the best part about this too is she uh, you know really kind of helps facilitate the understanding of what it is that he's been after this whole time 
and what the shepherds have been doing, which apparently, you know, the shepherds have been helping balance our universe so that it doesn't go one way or the other, both leading to our destruction, but keeping the balance so that it continually slowly expands forever. Uh, And in doing that, Leah, you wanted to return the universes to their original chaotic state, which would mean, you know, they'll either burn out or freeze out, either one. And, you know, they're in their own little pocket universe that's so different that it won't ever matter whether or not that happens to another universe. And so uh, I, I thought, you know, finally getting that was was really interesting to know. And then by the end, you know, we get the shepherds who are going to stop messing with everything altogether. So, I mean, I guess he wins. Yeah. <laughs> Which you put on our well, outline, which wonder. I was like, yeah, you're right. He kind of wins. Yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering. I was like, uh, as I thought more about it, you know, as you know, as you're talking there, even I'm just thinking, yeah, like I'm, I, I, I feel like who was in the right with the shepherds, and maybe, and that's kind of an interesting uh, moral dilemma, or just uh, you know existential kind of dilemma really for for our people but you know the if the shepherds were trying to keep the maintain the balance um through artificial means essentially or just through their own interventions um and then leo is saying no 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 that's not our place to do that and and he's thinking kind of almost from a god mindset of like I'm bigger than these people I'll get them to like I've made an oath that I can't do it but I'm just going to destroy all these people and and it doesn't affect me at all but we just need to get back to the chaotic state and it's you know like everybody else between the Romulans and between working with Voyager and Janeway and everybody that T. Allen is essentially like, yeah, okay, we'll stop doing it. And it's like, so so now we're not destroying it purposefully with bringing all the dark matter into one universe or another, but it's just going to go back to its chaotic state, which again is what Leo wanted in the first place. So I'm like, I'm not really sure who wins in that and how many millennia or whatever's longer than a millennia this is going to take anyway. But um, it... Some of the explanation by the end, when you think about it too much, kind of undoes the whole point of right. a lot of this entire trilogy. It's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, so Harry's bad luck continues uh, when he finds out that his new girlfriend not only doesn't like the things that he likes and hates them, uh, but is literally disappearing uh, from our universe. And so, you know, it's uh, it's going to be one night. And that's it. Cruel. Cruel, cruel. (laughs) And he's still an ensign, by the way. He's still an ensign. Yes. Ensign never finds love. Um, Yeah, this is just... uh, It was a really sweet part of the story with with him and her. I mean, they fall in love like very quickly, especially once they kind of come to an understanding about each other and she realizes that maybe she does actually like some of the things that he does. It was just so kind of anathema to what she had grown up with and come to know as what's right and wrong. Um, But, you know, to get through it and find out they could never have been together because they've come from different universes. But then, like, uh, the 
cruelty of all cruelties. And, and we don't even get to see them say goodbye. She has to leave from a recording. I mean, I was just like, ugh, that sucks. You know, like, and I mean, you feel bad for Harry in that situation. I mean, it's the story of, of Harry's life of looking for yeah. love in all the wrong places, looking for love. Um, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, uh, I mean, less said about the story, the better. Um, we did finally figure out, Casey, who our interluding character is. And it is apparently Kess, but from another universe where she was allowed by her crew just to transcend her nature and instead of becoming a, a ball of fury, uh, she mm-hmm. became this evolved entity. And, you know, so it was interesting that that became the case. And I wish that it just felt like it had more to do with the rest of the story, because I think it's actually the kernel of a great idea. Really mm-hmm. is. Um, I, I think that this was a really smart idea to to have this be the case, but then it is kind of meaningless again for the rest of the story because she doesn't have any interactions with our crew or anything, and she's from another universe, and so it, it just it, it's another place where good kernel of an idea that in execution actually doesn't really mean much for the story. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know the savvy reader will have probably realized from pretty early on that this was cast just because there there was a lot a lot of easter eggs uh thrown out in these parts of the stories and i was so it, 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 the revelation that she was from a different universe or she was a different cast from ours was like that that was a surprise to me and i and i appreciated it um, just because of how Arkes ended up, as you said, in, in a ball of fury. Um, and man, yeah, I really wish that she had gotten to interact with them more than just Tuvok realizing that she was there. She just kind of floats, like literally floats around the outskirts of everyone's awareness and then moves on. And I'm part of me wonders if. You know, depending on when these were written, which I can't recall off the top of my head, but um, if maybe the author was hoping to do something more with that later or something, but yeah, I completely agree with you. This was a great little kernel of an idea, and it just, I, I want more of this now, and it's, you know, I know we'll never get it. And, and that kind of sucks. And, you know, because otherwise at this point, it's just more filler. And kind of was unnecessary. Yeah. A little bit of a deus ex machina here. Yeah. I mean, part of it was that, we, and we talked about this idea, is that you you did need something else to be involved with picking up this dark matter and the universe because, you know, there's only so much Voyager can do. And even mm-hmm. in the quadrant they're in. And so, no, I, I 100% agree with you on that. It It does feel like uh yeah it's just hitting the easy button the kess easy button um but casey so we are wrapping up this series and this is the last book what did you end up thinking of this book 
Uh, and what are you going to rate it? Well, I don't think it comes as much surprise that this isn't going to get a very high rating. Um, but, you know, overall, I think that the book itself is a two and a half. I, I will say that it was my favorite of all three of them. And, um, I, which I don't feel like is saying much. Um, I think I gave, you know, two and a half to three stars to all of the books. But yeah, this was definitely. So I think on Goodreads, I actually gave all three of them three stars, but they're all really about two and a half. And, and I think even the second one probably was closer to a two, even if I think, as I think about it in context with the rest of them. But, you know, it's, it's one, there was, you know, a lot of good ideas throughout the book that just never gelled or never really went the direction that they could have gone to really make a more compelling story for me. So yeah, I'd say it's um, two and a half on the high end for the whole series too. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I would give this a two and a half as well. Um, Unfortunately, this is just not a very good series overall. And this book, while slightly better than others, I think the problem with it is that it does not it doesn't really do anything. And I think the biggest problem is that this book should have just been a duology and you could have cut out a lot of stuff and, and reworked some story ideas. And I think it could have been much better. Uh, I think the whole thing though, uh, this whole book series just really feels like filler. And the only thing that I've really enjoyed here is the story about the Romulan Jeckery. And you should not have that when you're reading a Star Trek Voyager novel series. You know, there should be something to gravitate towards with the other characters. But the other big issue here is that the characters never sound like themselves. And so it doesn't even feel like you're reading Voyager other than the fact that their names are here. And I guess Harry feels somewhat similar, but I mean, it, but it, it, it's just because we're doing the same sad sack Harry story. And so... <laughs> In all honesty, this is a series that anybody should just avoid reading. It's n- It really is not worth your time. So we have helped you in that sense when you're looking for Star Trek books. I would not recommend this series whatsoever. It's just not worth checking out, unfortunately, which is, is sad to say. But, you know, it, it's part of what happens when you have the hundreds of Star Trek books that we do. You know, um, not everyone is, is going to be a winner, and, and that's okay. Well, as I continue my read-through of the 24th century Star Trek books, which I know I was on here for a few of the last few episodes of those ones, and um, working my way through catching up all all the ones that I've missed, I'm in the fall right now. I think I've read through the second book of the fall, which is, if if you're going to avoid the series that we just completed here, go read the fall if you've never read that one. That one so far is excellent. Absolutely. No, those are some great books. Uh, I I mean, you're bringing me back to to talking about those with all the authors, too. So much fun. Uh, So, no, I couldn't recommend a series more. Uh, I'm excited, though. We've got some good stuff coming up. We've got the new uh, Discovery book coming up with Dayton. We can't wait to talk about that with him. Uh, And then we've got some other great choices coming up for you uh, here throughout the summer. And as we hit the fall, like we mentioned, we've got a lot of great nonfiction books that are going to be coming out. Uh, the making of Picard, the making of Star Trek II. We've got 
Patrick Stewart's uh, new autobiography, as well as the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko that's coming out. Uh, and so that's fiction, but, you know, um, kind of nonfiction, whatever. Yeah, It's nonfiction yeah. to those of us exactly. who love him. So there is a, a lot of great stuff that's going to be coming for you here on Literary Treks. But Casey, where should people catch up with you if they'd like to see what else you have going on these days? Yeah, I'm actually, surprisingly enough, most active on Goodreads and Letterboxd. And I'm at Knitting Trekkie. Um, definitely check out the Literary Treks group on Goodreads. And, uh, you know, we the discussions have been quiet lately, but, you know, every now and then we get in there and have a little discussions with each other and find out what everybody's reading. So that's that's a lot of fun. Uh, and you can also find me on Facebook and the Babel Conference, another great place to chat with everybody and, you know, talk about the shows. And, you know, Matt's always really great about going and posting on older posts, like older podcast posts about like new trailers that have come out on, you know, when things are going to discuss on 602 Club or, you know, wherever. So, you know, Babel Conference is actually a pretty cool place to hang out for people. <laughs> Absolutely. Where can, uh, I know people can find you like everywhere. Where's that at? <laughs> I am most active on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero. So those are the places you can find me the most. Uh, of course, here on the network, you mentioned we got the 602 Club where we're talking about all of those fandoms outside of Star Trek that we love. And we're having a blast there. So many great movies coming out this summer we're going to be talking about. In fact, as of next week, I'm so excited that um, we've uh, got... Zachary Fruling, who's going to be joining us again on TFM in the 602 Club. He's going to be helping us out there, and we're going to be talking about Tron, the original, uh, before we hit a bunch of new movies for the summer coming out. Uh, so check that out. You can also find me doing The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up is coming back right around the corner with New Strange New Worlds talk, and The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard. Over on the Nerd Party Network, you'll find me with a couple of shows as well. One is about Harry Potter. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. That's Owl Post. And then you'll find me doing aggressive negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with John Mills. But thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.